Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. So over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so incredibly glad to have you here. Today, I'm going to talk about the authority of the Word of God, and I'm going to be borrowing some points from a Bible study intro lesson that was written by my pastor, Joseph Hanthorne, on this topic. And I will be linking to this both in the show show notes and on the website at megunedited.com. So again, just talking about the authority and the validity and the proof for the Bible. The Bible is a remarkable book. The fact that the entire Bible has been translated into 700 languages and the New Testament has been translated into over 1,500 languages is incredible. You can compare that to the Quran, which has been translated into 47 languages, or the Book of Mormon, which has been translated into 110. And when you think about that, that is incredibly remarkable. It remains the bestseller of all time. It's the most printed and most distributed book in the world. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to an episode. I don't recall the episode number, but it was called You Don't Have To, You Get To. And in that episode, we talked about all those that have given their lives for the translation of the gospel, for the preservation of the Bible, and its final authority over the authority of the church. There are a lot of people that have invested, again, life itself for the preservation and translation of the gospel The Bible is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the word inspiration in that verse literally means God breathed. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And this means that the Bible is not man's book about God, but it is God's revelation of himself to humanity. And men wrote under the influence and the anointing of the Holy Ghost as God revealed himself to us. There's a lot of evidence that supports that the Bible is both historically true and that it has a supernatural origin. And just a few quick items that prove the validity and the authority of the Word of God. Archaeology. For example, the Dead Sea Scrolls. I had the privilege a number of years ago, probably over 15 years ago, to go to an exhibit and see the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it is remarkable. If you've never heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls or you haven't really done any study, I would encourage you to look into it. The Dead Sea Scrolls are scrolls and fragments of scrolls that were found in Israel in the 1940s, originally by a Bedouin shepherd boy who was throwing rocks into caves 
in the hills and heard something break and went and investigated and found these mass amounts of ancient scrolls of different books of the Bible. And then the excavation continued. There was a lot that were found throughout the 40s and 50s. And even last year, they found some fragments. I believe it was March of last year. Um, And so these are incredible because the amount of change from the time that these scrolls were written to the manuscripts that we have now of the Word of God, there has been so little change. There's an entire copy of the book of Isaiah in a complete scroll. Very remarkable proof. And in archaeology, there's a lot of other proofs. There is uh, something called the Archaeological Study Bible, which I have referred to many times. has a lot of archaeological information, pictures of things that have been found that historically prove the existence of different places and different characters in the Bible. For example, Hezekiah, there's proof uh, for Sennacherib, there's, uh, who was his arch enemy, who was his foe, and there's a lot of archaeological proof for the Word of God. Science proves the Word of God. For many years, people thought that the earth was flat, but if you go back to the Bible, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 22, it says, refers to the circle of the earth, and men thought for many years that there was different ways that the earth was upheld, but Job, way back, one of the oldest books, many think Job is actually the oldest book, He said that the earth hangs on nothing. And so science proves the word of God when it is true science. There's other things in the law, the Mosaic law, that refer to different health standards, different health practices. And we have seen in modern times that those are actually good, scientifically backed medical and health practices Divine agreement is an incredible proof for the Word of God. When you consider that there's 40 writers writing over a 1,500-year span and there's no disagreement and prophecies from different authors and different writers who, again, wrote under the influence and the anointing of the Holy Ghost and their prophecies being fulfilled, that is incredible, which brings me to another proof for the Word of God, which is fulfilled prophecy. The Old Testament has 400 fulfilled prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus himself. And there is a study that was done by, not a study necessarily, but Josh McDowell is a man who was an atheist when he was in college, and he set out to just prove the Bible. And he ended up proving the Bible to himself. And one of the things, if you ever hear him speak, that he talks about that was an incredible proof for him was prophecy. And he says, a verified analysis was conducted by the American Scientific Affiliation that concluded that the probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled in one person is one to the, I never know what this number is. It's like, it's not billions, it's more than that. But it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about six or seven sets of zeros after it. And that's just eight prophecies. When you, when you consider that there was over 400 prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus, it's impossible unless it is supernatural. And so fulfilled prophecy is huge, huge proof for the word of God. Indestructibility. The Bible has been scrutinized. It's been attacked by cultures, by regimes, and yet it's still the most printed and most circulated and most translated book in the world And then there's our personal witness. 
I can attest that the Bible is true because I have seen the Bible change my life. I have seen the Word of God change my heart and do incredible things in the deep places of my soul. And so again, those are just things that are definitely proof for the authority of the Word of God. John 6.63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus himself said that his words are spirit and life. And we are personally accountable to the Word of God. If the Bible is God's revelation of himself, then it means that it has authority over our lives. And if we see something in the Bible, we are responsible to bend and mold and shape to it. The Bible does not morph to our standards. We are expected to live to its standards. And the word of God is going to be our judge in the last day. In John 12, 48, Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And I'm going to stand before God one day, and it's going to be him and his word and me. Did I live up to its commands? Did I live my life in such a way that pleased him according to the directives that he gave? We should therefore study and rightly divide the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not be ashamed, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And this is really where my own personal Bible reading and prayer journey began. I knew I believed that the Word of God held final authority, but I knew I had to know for myself what it said about salvation because I was going to be judged out of it and I wanted to live my life according to it. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. David wrote in Psalm 119, 89 and said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And Isaiah 55, 10 through 12 says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. If God said it in his word, you can take it to the bank. It is true, it is truth, and you can count on it, and you can rely on it. Every promise will come to pass. Every prophecy will be fulfilled. And with that in mind, that the word of God holds final authority and that everything is true, I'm going to share an entry based on something that Paul wrote in Romans 8.28, and it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so here is today's unedited entry, all things. All things. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8:28. All means all, that's all, all means. Brother Ray Nichols. This verse and this little statement that I grew up hearing have been resurfacing in my brain pretty frequently over the last few weeks. All is every. 
That is probably not a shocker to most people, but to me in my natural mind, that is mind-blowing, mind-boggling, crazy. The fact that Paul would state that every last thing, all things work together for good, is an unfathomable surprise to me. There are no exceptions to all. How is that possible? Personally, I think I label or categorize things. This could be used by God. This could not be used by God. I make two columns and mentally sort out events, useful and not useful. Of course, most things go into the useful column. But there are the things that in my mind seem they could never be useful. It seems impossible. But Romans 8.28 entirely deletes the not useful column and boldly proclaims there is only one column. All things work together for good. Really? All? Yes, every. A prison sentence, a cancer diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, financial ruin, debilitating ongoing physical pain, a barren womb, personal failure, family crisis, persecution, a forced early retirement, battles for your mind, heart, and soul, divorce. With one line, Paul says every last thing you will ever face works together for good. He moves every single thing to the useful category. He, of course, lists qualifications. This is the case for those who love God, and this is the case for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you don't love God and you haven't responded to his call, and he calls all, I cannot promise you that all things will go in the useful column. But when you respond to him and answer his call to salvation and begin the journey of walking hand in hand with him and loving him, you are qualified for all. Simple qualifications, a quick disclaimer that must be noted. Paul wrote this verse late in his life. From what I'm reading, Paul wrote these words on his third missionary journey. The Apostle Paul was a man who knew both internal and external struggle. With limited time, I can't say for certain which things he faced before writing all things work together for good. But from his writings, we know that he was a man who suffered, who knew the gut-wrenching pain of hardship, the incredible call of God on his life, and the eternal impact of his ministry did not exempt him from the things I'd categorize as not useful. To the church in Corinth, he states, Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Repeatedly through his letters to the churches and individuals, he shares the trials and tests that most of us would think could never be useful. But in spite of these things he's faced, he writes, All things work together for good. Really? All, Paul? Yes, all. Beatings at Ephesus, frequent imprisonment, being whipped five times, being beaten with rods three times, being shipwrecked, spending a night and a day in the deep, perils in water of robbers of your own countrymen, from the heathen, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, because of false brethren, weariness and painfulness, sleepless nights, going hungry and thirsty, being cold and naked, having or escaping with your life, having a thorn in your flesh and an unanswered prayer relating to it, knowing the feeling of personal weakness, parting ways with your longtime ministry partner Barnabas after God had used you together so many times, being forsaken by Demas, fighting your flesh, being stoned and left for dead, 
imprisonment on more than one occasion, at times dealing with the guilt of your past, your persecution and torture of Christians, death threats on your life, all these things work together for good. You as an aging man can look back after over these myriad life experiences and more and say that they have ultimately worked together for your good. How is that possible? Number one, Paul says all things work together for good, not all things are good. The two words work together are one Greek word, synergeo, number 4903 in Strong's, which means to work together, to partner, to be a fellow worker, i.e. cooperate. Paul is saying that all these difficulties and challenges, all these trials and hardships on their own are not good, but that when they are compounded together in the life of one who loves God, the mixture is good. When devastating and seemingly debilitating events, the unuseful things are mingled and merged together, the results are good. They work together for good. It is not simply the events themselves, but the other things required to make it through the events that bring good. Dependence on God is mixed in and works together. Humility is mixed and works together. Compassion and empathy and anointing are squeezed out by all things. More grace for the trial is mixed in and works together. All things become the ingredients in a life that leaves an impact. All things are not good, but all things work together for good. Number two, Paul had one goal, the spread of the gospel. Paul saw how the things that fell under the category of all had advanced his primary mission. To the church at Philippi, he writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened unto me has actually served to advance the gospel. The New Living Translation says everything that has happened to me here. Paul could look back at all things and state that they worked together for good because he saw how they advanced the gospel and the kingdom of God. Paul had stopped living for self and was living with a purpose far greater. This was the mindset that allowed him to say all things work together for good imprisonment in a Philippian jail with his feet in the stocks? Oh yes, it was good because it worked together with his praise and saw a jailer and his family baptized. Paul's perspective took note that all things opened doors for the advancement of the gospel. All things worked together for good. Now a third thing comes to mind. Number three, Paul saw all things working together for good because his eyes were fixed on eternity and not on the here and now. There is a beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul conveys his mindset and eternal focus so eloquently. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen, all things, are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul could endure and see the value of all things because he could, through eyes of faith that had an eternal perspective, see their impact on eternity. He saw the invisible but long-lasting effects of all things. Paul could call shipwreck and beatings, personal struggles and weakness, rejection and imprisonment, light afflictions, because his eyes saw past the moment, past the season, into an eternal realm. He could see that all things were producing a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The things he was enduring were for something far greater than earthly recognition or human accolades. All things working together were laying up treasure where moth and rust don't corrupt. All things in Paul's life would never see a trophy case in his office, but it would see his life as a trophy of grace in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 9.25 he wrote, They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Paul endured through physical and mental pain, emotional anguish, and devastating circumstances because his goal was not a human attaboy but an enduring well done from the one who was his ultimate goal. Like Moses in Hebrews 11.27, he endured as seeing him who was invisible. All things worked together for good because their effects and results produced a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. One day, we too can look back and see goodness in all things. Those seemingly senseless, could never be useful to my human mind events and trials and seasons will one day reveal the goodness of God. Every piece and part of my life will work together for good if I place them in God's hands and allow Him to be the author and finisher of my faith. All things surrendered to His capable hands and all things mixed and melded together will be both for the advance of the gospel and the procurement of an eternal crown. All things still serve the purpose of a great God. Your things, my things, all things. Delete the not useful column. God works in all things. All things means everything because all means all. That's all, all means. Thank you, Brother Nichols, for this life lesson. And thank you, Brother Paul, for putting pen to paper time and again. Thank you for writing to the church what all looks like. In closing, another famous all from Paul. Romans chapter 8 closes by saying this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord all things final answer Today, I just wanted to remind you again that the Word of God is forever settled. If it's in His Word, you can stand on it, you can trust it, and we must make sure that our lives line up with His Word. 
in his word, it says that all things work together for good. And so no matter what you faced, no matter what you're facing, even if it is not good, it can work together for good if you will put it in his hands. Because all means all. Thank you so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or if you'd like to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit MegUnedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is Unedited. This is for you. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday.